Hello, you're listening, you are listening to, to SRM Student Radio Master on 107.5 FM. Do you like for tuning in. This is Student Radio Maastricht on RTV 107.5 FM. My name is Sham, your tech for tonight. And we are recording this in the studios of RTV. Thank you very much, RTV, for letting us use your studios. And in the studios we have today with us joining is the European Careers Agency. And before we go, before we go, a quick shout out to Moza Musica. Thank you very much for letting us use your sets. By the way, what we'll be listening to there is the set by King Stereo as you can find on the Moza Musica SoundCloud page. And back to the topic, so this is ECA. Uh, we have Ari, Leonie, and 
Sarah. 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 <laughs> in the studio with us. Uh, could you please introduce yourselves? Yes. Hello, everyone. I'm Leonie. I'm uh, the host for today. I'm the editress of Blue and Yellow. That's the blog of the European Career Association, um, where we regularly publish articles um, on any kind of topic of the EU, really. Um, that's going on right now, but also career insights. Um, and with me today, I have uh, two writers uh, of the blog, Ari and Sarah. Maybe you guys also want to introduce yourself. Yeah. Hi, I'm Ari. So I'm Estonian. I'm studying law and I've been writing for the Blue and Yellow uh, for a year now. And yeah, I'm happy to be back on the radio. It's always a good time here. Yeah, I'm Sara, I come from Italy and I'm doing here in Maastricht my uh, research master in European studies. And so I started to write for the blog in September and I'm really excited to be here as well. It's my first time at the radio. Cool. All right. Let's go back to some King's Cheerio. Let's do it. This is Student Radio Maastricht on RTV 107.5 FM. And thanks for tuning in. That was, by the way, King Stereo from Moza Musica, our, our partners in playing uh, playing music here. Uh, so thank you very much for that. And uh, in the studio we have today ECA. And the topic of today is Georgia and Moldova in between Russian and European influence. Yep, so I'll get us started. Uh, so if you've been reading European news at all, you may notice that there's been uh, major demonstrations in these two countries. So today we kind of wanted to talk about 
their role in European politics and how they've come into the limelight uh, ever since the war started in Ukraine. Um, so starting off with Moldova, uh, they recently had a pretty major protest uh, with sort of this anti-EU sentiment among the demonstrators. Uh, they were mostly protesting about uh, the cost of uh, living crisis and uh, the energy crisis. Um, Sarah, can you tell us a little bit about like the sentiment of... Uh yeah, sure. Yeah, as you were saying, a lot has been going on in these past days, especially. And um, yeah, there are these protesters that are mostly against uh, um, the president, Maya Sandu, which is openly pro-EU. And so, um, yeah, as you were saying, this among the protesters, it seems to, um, it appears to, yeah, to they have a really anti-EU um, sentiment. And um, but what is interesting is that um, the president uh, has been saying that uh, these protests are actually um, sponsored by uh, Russia. And uh, yeah, she's been saying that this seems to be uh, like a coup d'etat uh, in the country. And um, so, yeah, uh, the, the it seems to be a Kremlin-sponsored campaign to destabilize the government. And I think that this is really um, yeah important to, to underline because uh, what's particular for Moldova is is this in-between situation between the EU and this pro-EU government and uh, Russia. And maybe you want to add something about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, last year in 2022, uh, Moldova actually got EU candidate status and they've been, you know, sort of reforming their policies to fit into that candidate status. So it definitely comes as a shock to many that they're... They're still having these major protests that are anti-EU and they've been taking so many steps towards the EU. But with any country that's formerly Soviet or kind of sandwiched between <laughs> these Eastern countries, they tend to have very difficult, very complex politics. Uh, for example, Moldova has a major breakaway region, the Transnistria, that has pretty strong Russian alliances and uh, inevitably Moldova is still somewhat in the sphere of Russian influence. Um, anything you want to add about? Yeah, no, sure. Uh, what you were saying about Transnistria is really interesting also because, uh, yeah, um, after the um, invasion and the escalation of the Ukrainian war, uh, all these countries, uh, such as also Moldova and Georgia, are more on the news. And of course, they fear more <laughs> the Russian threat uh, than us. Uh, also, they're really concerned about the presence of uh, Russian soldiers in the Transnistria region. Uh, Although Transnistria has not been recogni recognized uh, by Russia uh, yet, but uh, this is for sure a um, uh, delicate um, situation and area. And so, yeah, and yeah, maybe we could talk about uh, um, the 9th of May. Yeah, and yeah, yeah this symbolic day, um, because I think that. This is uh, really symbolic of how this country is divided between the influence of the EU and um, and Russia. 
because as we know, the 9th of May is uh, Europe Day, but on the very same day, uh, it's also Victory Day, which is uh, particularly celebrated in uh, post-Soviet countries and Russia. And um, they in this day uh, in Moldova, there are celebrations both for uh, Europe Day and the um, Victory Day. And this is controversial because, as we were saying, there are part of the population that is more uh, pro-EU and a part of the population that still is pro-Russia. And now, more than in the past, this um, overlapping identity is problematic because of the war. And yeah. Can you quickly um, specify what war you're referring to with the vict victory day what sorry can you um, specify what day you're referring to for the vic victory day? Uh, yeah it's the end of the uh, second world war so right. uh, it's uh, for them like it's especially important for russia and in russia there are parades and it's a huge celebration and all these uh, post-soviet countries are also uh, celebrating it uh, in very important ways Right, anything to add, Ari? Any opinion that you might have? Well, I think uh, we made a pretty good comparison of uh, Agreed, yeah. this Russian versus EU influence in the country. And we'll go into later about kind of what it means to us as we are in the EU. Sounds good. Then we'll um, be back after the music talking about Georgia, right? Absolutely. All right. Thank you. <clears throat>
tuning in. This is Student Radio Maastricht on RT 107.5 FM. What we were listening to there is King Stereo. Thank you very much, Moza Musica, for letting us use your tracks and sets. And in the studio we have today ECA, uh, the members of the ECA, the students from ECA, um, the European Careers Association. Yes, that's right. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, Leonie. Yes. And Sarah. And Ari. Ari. Yep. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, please. And you. Yeah, hello everyone. We're back. I'm Leonie. I'm the host for today and the editress of Blue and Yellow. Um, in the first section, we talked about uh, Moldova and what is their current political situation and kind of outlining also um, their history with Russia and, and the country's tornness between pro-EU and, and pro-Russian sentiments. And um, now we want to talk about a bit more about Georgia um, why it's important to talk about it, how it's maybe similar to um, Moldova, but also how it's very different. So, yeah, Ari and Sara are going to kind of inform you about that. Uh, so in Georgia, there's simultaneously also in the last week been happening uh, major protests. But in comparison to what was going on in Moldova, these are pro-EU protests. So in Georgia, uh, the government recently proposed a foreign agents bill which uh, would sort of target uh, journalists and civic activists uh, who are who would perhaps by the government be claimed to acting uh, like contrary to the interest of Georgia uh, which is never good for you know free press uh, Sarah would you like to maybe talk about uh, the government and what their sort of EU stances? Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, maybe in these days we've all seen the pictures of uh, the lady with the European flag, which was really uh, symbolic, and the police um, yeah, against the protesters. And uh, yeah, as you were saying, this um, law, uh, this bill uh, called the Foreign Agent Law, uh, has been criticized as Russian inspired and um, yeah what's interesting is that also compared to what we were saying before about Moldova also Georgia has this difficult um, political situation in which uh, there are um, pro-EU uh, there's a pro-EU uh, government actually um, and but also uh, there are um, yeah, pro part of the population is uh, pro-Russia and um, the bill actually was proposed by a faction in the parliament that is formed by members that left uh, the um, currently ruling party, which is the Georgian Dream, and uh, but they are still in the parliament majority. So um, yeah, they. But now we know that um, the bill is no. Mm, yeah, they, they decided to uh, cancel it, but still protests are going on, and. Um, yeah, so mm, the government mm, claims to be pro-EU, but still we see that there are uh, a lot of problems with the Russian influence as well. Yeah, I think you can observe uh, Georgia's a bit different to Moldova. Well, actually, no, they're quite similar in many ways, but uh, they don't have candidate status like uh, Moldova does to the EU, although they were, you know, kind of expressing their desire to joined the EU uh, last year together with uh, Moldova and Ukraine. Um, but uh, the EU in June decided that they don't yet deserve the <laughs> candidate <laughs> status. And they gave them a sort of list of uh, reforms that they need to do to 
uh, get this status. And this uh, came as a shock to many, uh, this bill and, you know, the failure to get the candidate status because three quarters of Georgian population uh, see themselves as pro-EU and it's really a tiny proportion of the population that's pro-Russian. So the Georgian government is kind of trying to please both sides as in they say they'll commit to EU values, they'll make steps towards it, but at the same time the Georgian Dream Party has been in power for almost 10 years I think mm -hmm. and uh, there's a lot of there's a few oligarchs there that have Russian ties and so they still want to keep that tie they want to please both sides which say there is corruption Ari there's <laughs> corruption maybe <laughs> yeah I think what's important to highlight here is that I mean you said that the EU didn't grant or yeah grant Georgia candidate status and of course the, the deserve part what you mentioned is if they have a lot of norms and values that they represent and, and the judiciary is separate, etc. Like all these aspects that stay or stated in the Aquis Communitaire of the EU that you need to um, have implemented once or if you want to become candidate status. And the fact that the EU did not grant Georgia candidate status, I think really shows that there's a lot of corruption and probably a lot of Russian influence. So it's interesting how, yeah, as you said, a lot of the, the population is pro-EU, but actually the government at least seems to to not be um yeah <laughs> no yeah the <laughs> status of potential candidacy is really yeah um, it, it has turned out to be shocking for the population as well and uh, since we were talking about the uh, ties that there are with russia i think like we need to mention uh, the georgia russia war of 2008 which was a major, major event five days of war into in august 2008 uh, that ended with a ceasefire um, promoted by uh, sarkozy the um, french president but still today georgia considers these uh, separatist republics to be Russian occupied territories and um, yeah the majority of the population uh, yeah in uh, Abkhazia and uh, south of Sasha they are uh, as I was saying uh, separatists uh, but still uh, Georgia refused uh, to recognize th recognize these uh, uh, regions uh, and also the international community do not recognize uh, them yeah and that's like another common theme we see among these two countries is having these breakaway regions that um, sort of complicate internal politics and uh, I it's also maybe worth to mention like that Georgia has a land border obviously with uh, Russia while Moldova doesn't but Georgia has taken in around a hundred thousand uh, Russians fleeing from the regime um, Less, there's a few Ukrainian refugees as well, 20,000 around. But uh, so, yeah, their like direct border is also probably a very key factor in influencing that. Uh, also, <laughs> I wanted to mention that both countries are part of the uh, European neighborhood policy and also the Eastern Partnership in the EU. So uh, there are like ties that they keep with the EU, um, even not being part of the union and uh, there's certain like agreements they have with the EU and some funds that they receive yeah for well. sure for all the 
the listeners that maybe don't know what the European neighborhood policy is in the Eastern Partnership, um, the EU basically has, um, or part of its foreign policy branch is to influence its neighborhoods, so countries that are not part of the EU and probably never will be, um, also in, in North Africa and more towards the Middle East. Um, but they try to, through these um, partnerships and, and policy agreements, um, try to make them as um, yeah democratic as possible um, to kind of secure for their own safety, so for the EU security, but also with with the idea in mind of that liberal democracy is is the way to go for any kind of state form, um, and for the citizens living there and and ensuring the human rights and rule of law, etc. So um, through yeah what Ari mentioned, like financial incentives, they they make these agreements. So um, Georgia and Moldova, rather small countries, are strongly, strongly benefiting um, from them, even though generally it can be debated to what extent um, the EU's policy in that regard is um, is good in a way. Um, but yeah, I think that that's for the section for Georgia. Um, and after the music, we're going to talk a bit about um, yeah what that means for us and our view um, on the current developments.
Thank you for tuning in. This is Student Radio Maastricht on RTD 107.5 FM. My name is Sham, doing the tech tonight. And what we were listening to there was King Stereo. Thank you very much, uh, Moza Musical, for letting us use your sets. And in the studio, we have tonight the ECA, the European Careers Association. Hello, Leonie. Everyone. Hi. Yeah. Hi, I'm Leonie. I'm the host for today, editress of the blog Blue and Yellow. I'm a student at Maastricht University. I'm studying my master's um, in European studies, actually focusing on foreign policy. And with me today is Ari and Sarah. Hi, I'm Ari. I'm studying uh, my bachelor's in European law, third year. I've been writing for the Blue and Yellow uh, for a year now. And uh, good to be here. Hi, I'm Sara and I'm from Italy and I'm doing my research master here in Maastricht uh, in European studies, especially in international relations. And yeah, I'm also really happy to be here. Yeah, good to have you guys here. Um, previously, we talked about Moldova and Georgia and what's been going on there. Um, protests, pro-EU protests, pro-Russia protests and Yeah, just highlighting a bit of the recent news because there has been a lot of stuff going on, actually. Um, and one thing that I just wanted to mention, we talked about um, especially the, the political discourse and what's more going on um, among the population and the polarization of yeah, the, this tornness between the EU and Russia. Um, but I think it's really important to also embed this in, in the bigger, bigger context of Yeah, Russian's foreign policy in the in, in the last years. I think what started maybe even in the Georgia war, what just Sarah um said, but definitely then in, in Ukraine in 2014, um, where again Ukraine was pretty or was on, on the road to become um closer with the EU um, and then we all know that, that Russia in, invaded Ukraine and at least took over Crimea and um, the border region Luhansk and Donetsk and of course uh, since the 24th of February 2022 uh, Russia had, has actually actively started a war against Ukraine and um, those developments of course then also need to be, need to be considered when we talk about Moldova and, and Georgia because maybe you know the the Russian influence that we just talked about is more than just having political control or having a say in their um, governmental decision making but maybe it's also about territorial um, control as well so I think in in the in the context of talking about the EU and what that means for us especially um, yeah we need to Yeah, also be sure that we we consider that and the DG commissioners, uh, DG Home Commissioner Eva Johansson, she also said that, you know, we really also have to support these two countries, not just politically, but potentially also um, with with more support uh, in in those regards to to ensure their national sovereignty as well. So that's just what I wanted to throw in. But uh, now for for the last part, um, we do want to talk about um, how we perceive e the Yeah, how we perceive uh, what's currently going on and also maybe the, the role of the EU in, in general. Sure. Uh, yeah, I think that we could uh, really reflect on what's going on uh, by talking about yeah, our perception as Euro e European uh, citizens from the EU. And um, yeah, because I feel like uh, we give for granted the fact that we are citizens of member states, but uh, seeing the images, especially from the protests in Georgia in these days, at least they were for me really impressive. 
and also learning about um, how important Europe Day on the 9th of May is in Moldova. They really hold this huge concert in the most important square uh, in the capital city, Chisinau. And um, yeah, so I really feel like as like young Europeans, uh, maybe we study, you study and uh, yeah, European law, but uh, probably a lot of um, people of at our age, we just give for granted that we are part of the union and this doesn't mean a lot to an average citizen probably. But uh, yeah, compared to the people uh, coming from in particular these two countries, uh, it's really different. So yeah, maybe Ari, you want to add something? Yeah, like absolutely. That? Like before the war, I would say that um, these Eastern countries were just ignored a little bit, but now they're definitely like, people understand that what's going on in these countries is very high stakes for European politics. Like beforehand they would, you wouldn't really hear about them, but now it's like, if something's happening, it's kind of huge. And I'd like to add um, that like in every country, there is a political division between politicians that are like firmly anti-Russian, want to sanction them and politicians that are more neutral and maybe take sort of a softer approach of appeasement towards Russia. But in the East, this division has much stronger consequences. And I'm from Estonia. We <laughs> were also part of the Soviet Union. And uh, we also have a lot of Russians living there. And for us, it's also like a very hot topic. And you can see that some also other uh, Eastern European countries that are members of the EU uh, politically take very hard stance towards Russia and um, it's a little bit less so in the West um, so I I think it's definitely good that so much focus is going into these two countries now that um, things are, are things are changing for them politically um, Sarah would you like to add about like how this po post-soviet label um, works for yeah. Eastern European countries. Yeah, I think that what you were saying is really interesting because it's true that before uh, the escalation um, of the war in Ukraine, we didn't talk a lot about uh, these in-between countries and even how we name them is uh, in a sort problematic probably because yeah sometimes we say eastern european countries south caucasus countries uh, always like referring to the borders uh, and yeah or uh, even worse probably uh, post soviet countries or former former soviet countries and these um, can be problematic because uh, by naming them like that, we're still putting an emphasis on their past because we're saying post-Soviet, but, you know, the Soviet Union doesn't exist anymore. So, um, yeah, we're ignoring the present and uh, also the future. And, um, yeah, so I think that that's also symbolic for what we were saying and these uh, delicate situations of these countries. Yeah. And, yeah. It really, um, like, shows how much... Even after 30 years uh, of independence, their past still determines all of their internal politics. And um, that's something they're definitely trying to get rid of. Um, hopefully most of the population there. But May yeah. I jump in there, Ari? Because what you said, you know, you're from Estonia and of course you, you didn't grow up in, in the Soviet Union. So you wouldn't know how it was back then. But um, 
now they are part of the EU more or less recently. And I was wondering if you have any like experiences on, on how you see that division still with with Russian or pro-Russian or even Russian citizens living in Estonia. And like, do you see any tensions there? Have you followed the news in Estonia? How, how do they see what's currently going on? Uh, yeah, so um, in Estonia, there are certain parties that are a little, little bit more pro-Russian. Um, but in general, even those parties politically, they couldn't function anymore with like being openly Russian supportive. So they had to kind of switch course and they lost a lot of Russian followers because of that. Interesting. And population wise, um, Estonia is a little bit uh, segregated uh, as in Russians are, they live kind of in the East and uh, they kind of like have their own parts of the city where they have Russian schools and um, Estonia is trying to like integrate them more, but it's still a very long process um yeah and that's interesting especially because Estonia is already part of the EU so you can only imagine how that division must be in the country where it's maybe even less clear and you know the the, the both camps so to say have yeah a stronger say and and probably therefore more influence because the country is not aligned to the EU yet for example right I mean I can only imagine but that's how it seems to me. Yeah, that is pretty much how it is. Well. Yeah, maybe uh, I think that this is really interesting because we also need to think about how uh, yeah, the future of these countries will be. And now we're talking about Russia and the EU in really conflicting terms. Uh, and so pro-EU parties and pro-Russia parties and um, protests that are divided based on these uh, differences but it wasn't always like that probably like him after uh, like the first uh, in the first 2000s uh, this um, yeah sentiment of uh, confrontation between the EU and Russia wasn't so evident of course now with the <laughs> war in Ukraine we have all this uh, rhetoric and uh, yeah this um, yeah, conflict between uh, the EU and Russia, between democracies, autocracies, and uh, Bastille. Yeah, I think that it's really interesting to think about how, in the end, uh, when <laughs> we hope soon the war will end, how these identities will live again together. Because, as you were saying, uh, there are, uh, as Ari was saying, a lot of Russians are living in Estonia and all these uh, different uh, regions, uh, South of Asia and Abkhazia and Transnistria yeah they they will not disappear <laughs> so uh yeah what what will happen then and I think that's also part of something we could reflect on maybe in a few years yeah 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 I think it's gonna have a huge impact also not only on how the war is gonna end but also yeah how Russia will then be perceived and I think it's not just like Russia has this like one opinion right like a lot of russians are against what putin is doing as well and how that's also affecting family ties because there are a lot of culture and, and f family links also with ukraine what we've saw like already seen so how that's yeah really gonna affect the culture and not just country lines i think and then their influence on on politics i think it's something that we cannot even think about really right now but it's something we need to keep in mind and then be able to respond to also as as a EU but maybe also our role as EU citizens of just 
informing about that. Yeah, I mean, we will definitely not see the effects of this war until 50 years after, you know? Like Probably, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's huge. But I think with that, we're going to wrap up this section. Yeah. So, on to the music.
Thanks. Thanks for tuning in. This is Student Radio Maastricht on RT 107.5 FM. My name is Shyam. I'm doing the tech tonight. And thank you very much, the European Careers Association, for coming by and really like dissecting the news, like giving your opinions and views on it. Because, yeah, personally, I've, I've also been following the news, but it's, it's always very refreshing to get like... Um, get get opinions you know like especially from academics uh, so thank you very much and also massive thanks to Moza Musica for letting us use uh, one of their sets this one was by King Stereo and yeah do you uh, we, yeah Ari or um, yeah thank you thank you Sham yeah, so um, I'm Ari and uh, this in this episode we've been talking about the political situation in Moldova and Georgia their current protest uh, that happened recently uh, sort of um what this means for European politics, what this means for their internal politics, um, how these countries are sort of um, in between Russia and the EU. And uh, yeah, I've, I've had a great debate here. Um, Sarah? Yeah, I think it was really nice. And uh, yeah, we digged a bit about, yeah, and talked about uh, Moldova and Georgia. And I think that yeah, um, it was really nice also to talk about your experience as Estonian. And yeah, I really enjoyed it. So definitely um, read more about Eastern European politics. Uh, keep up to date with uh, the EU. And uh, agreed, agreed. That's my advice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll probably be back in a month uh, talking about another uh, topic. Um here not sure what yet but it's probably going to be interesting hopefully again so um if you can get enough of eca blue and yellow in <laughs> our voices then tune in in a month again um until then i wanted to do some promo for for eca because um it's not only blue and yellow so the blog where we are from that's doing great things and is very active but also all the rest of our association um, that are organizing special events and trips and, and workshops. So generally, if you are interested in any kind of yeah activity that we have organized, um, just check out our Instagram, ECA Maastricht, and, um, or Blue and Yellow um, as well, where you can see our latest articles. And regarding our uh, events, so the most uh, recent one that's now coming up is um, a debating championship, actually, with ECA and partnering with Eloquentia, who, which is a debating association. It's on March 20th at 6.30 p.m. Um, in late April, we have a day trip coming up to um, Deloitte in Luxembourg. Um, there's going to be an MEP event um, and also a diplomat panel discussion later on in, in the semester. So we have a lot of very nice events in the in the pipeline and of course also a lot of socials if you are part of ECA already. So check out that. Um, yeah, it's always a pleasure to be here at the radio. And um, so thank you so much also for hosting us. Um, thank you very much for coming <laughs> by. No, absolutely. And thanks. Massive thanks to RTV for letting us uh, use the studio. Yes. Thank yes, you thank so you, much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs>